is coming from the first Peter chapter one, beginning to read from verse three to twelve. First Peter chapter one. Beginning to read from verse three to twelve. Praise to God for a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last minute, last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through the refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have seen him, you have loved him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and all filled with an inexpressible and glorious glory. For you are receiving the the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstance so which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they they were not saving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels, looked, even, even angels longed to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. In a moment, I want to ask you a question about the Pado Tavern. Can I see by a show of hands all those who know where the Pado Tavern is? Not many people. It's in Paddington, not England, the one on the other side of town. And uh, many years ago when I was working at St. Mary's Church, Baden, I was part of that, uh, let's say, Anglican group, the deanery. And for our end of year, I won't say Christmas, but for our end of year gathering, I think I was the naughty one who suggested, let's go to the Paddo Tavern for our end of year lunch. And there we were, probably about 8 or 14 or 14 of us sitting there, and talking about all kinds of weird and wonderful things and about church and so on. And some of my brothers and sisters, I I don't think they all said this, but some said what the church, and they meant the Anglican church, what the church in Australia needs 
is a bit of persecution. Persecution will do the church the world of good. It will give us a kick in the right place, make us get on with it, boost church life, grow the church. Yes, persecution. And one of our number said, I would not wish persecution persecution on anyone. He said, persecution is sheer horror. It's terror. It's devastation. The one who said that was, and some of you might know him, Dr. Ray Baraklov, who at the time was the, uh, the New Testament lecturer at St. Francis College in Milton. He said, he repeated, he said, you don't want persecution. You don't want persecution. Now, with that in mind, let's go to uh, the reading, 1 Peter, and again, that key verse. So if you, in your Bibles, could turn to 1 Peter, which is rather difficult to find because I've got a brand new Bible. The pages are very, very thin, and it's a job to get to it. So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. And the word I mentioned was persecution. And could we please read together on the count of two, verse six, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. Now, in terms of that verse, he probably points to persecution, persecution of Christians, or is it persecution? Some of the experts have said that Peter is referring to a time of persecution in their recent past, and that's why Peter put that in. Others have said Peter is talking about persecution yet to come. And another one commented that it did happen soon after that. One other theologian said it was clearly a persecution situation. It wasn't, but it was. It was a persecution situation. And others would say it was persecution of a kind. It might not be severe, it might not seem to be severe, but it can cause painful suffering to the victims or the one victim. For instance, the time that we're talking about, uh, the populace, the population was largely pagan. Most of them were pagan. So if a pagan person accuses a Christian of some offense, it's highly likely the Christian will be found guilty. Not necessarily because the Christian is guilty, but because the Christian is a Christian. <clears throat> Remind me of some of the bad old days in South Africa, but I won't go back to that because we seem to be experiencing the bad good day, the bad new days in South Africa at the moment. Back to Peter. A pagan person could very easily 
take a Christian to court for a minor thing. And the chances are the court might handle the Christian far more severely than is necessary. Some years ago, a young lady in Brisbane had a chat with me and she said uh, she loves going to church. She tries to be there every Sunday morning. But um, her boyfriend is really not interested in church and all that goes with it. But it's quite okay, her being a church person. And then she said, however, the boyfriend has the subtle habit of hinting, saying little things, bits and pieces and tiny pieces of negative things about church and about Christians. He's, he's always just lightly criticizing church. And it's enough to slowly drive one potty. It reminds me of our dog at home, Benson. One of those that bark a lot. And just before we left this morning, we put him out. But our grandson and his girlfriend are there. And Levi says, please don't put him out. Because he barks and he barks and he barks and he doesn't stop enough to drive you potty. I'm sure that's not like persecution, but it's almost a kind of an echo of that. This persecution probably produces suffering, the suffering that Peter writes about. And uh, it is said that throughout the letter, here and there, Peter makes little hooks where this persecution vision is hung. Now again, remember, they were mostly a pagan society. Christians were in the minority. And here, Peter is trying to encourage the believers, reminding Christians of the wonderful hope they have, the future hope that they can look forward to, and the present hope in their lives. My doctor reminded me of the hope that I have. He'd been my GP for about more than 10 years, and every so often started chatting with me, and I think he was a sort of a part-time, not quite a lecturer, um, it's, a, it's something else, but helping the medical students along. And every so often when I went for a checkup, he didn't charge me more, but I had a longer session, and he would just chat away. And uh, conversations, nothing to do with medicine, about life and this and that and the other. And at one time, we chatted about dying and death, medically speaking. And to my mild shock, he said to me about death and dying, he said to me, you are okay. You have something to look forward to. And I thought, what? what is he talking about? And he said about himself, he said, I'm not into all that stuff. I'm not into anything really. And then about me, he said again, you have something to look forward to. And um, silly me, I, I couldn't quite grasp what he was on about. But my doctor, who was probably not a believer, took more seriously my belief. Because he knew, you know, I wear a plastic collar and all that sort of thing. He reminded me, and I, I can't get over this, he reminded me, the doctor, not a believer, 
He reminded me, the forgetful believer, of the hope I have when I die and the hope I already enjoy now in this life and that joy in this life and the life to come. And I was astounded afterwards. Sometimes, you know, I like to make a lot of jokes and when people tell me something, I don't get it. And that was it. It wasn't a joke, but it's only afterwards I thought, wow, this man is talking about something really big here that I'd forgotten about. And it seems to me that that is what Peter is telling us in his letter. And that is what he's telling the Christians way back then and in his letter in terms of how to handle suffering. Now, the language isn't that easy, but let's go back to 1 Peter, verses 3 to 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. And uh, as I said, it doesn't seem to be that easy to understand, but let's just read through it again on the count of 2, verses 3 to 5. 1, 2. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. A very, very uh, difficult couple of sentences to take in. It's also said that Peter uses rather technical language. And I'm sure as I was digging for information, I'm sure I came across a place where one theologian said, Peter should have used simpler English easier words. And I thought, oh, that's what Peter said about Paul. He says, Paul's writings are difficult and not that easy to understand. However, it is also said that Peter uses here words that the ancient church used at baptism ceremonies. So it's part of what happens and the benefits of baptisms and so on. And in a way, Peter is reminding us and those people that as baptized people, we live the Christian life. We live out what was undertaken and promised when we were baptized. And the question that I like to ask is, so how do we do that? What does Peter say about that? Well, if you picked it up, the new birth, Baptism is seen as a born-again experience. So in chapter 1, verses 22, Peter says this, in terms of your baptism life, love one another deeply from the heart. And someone said, in some Bibles, it's from a pure heart. For you have been born again. Love. And on some of our St. Andrew's printed material and things through the internet and so on, we read our motto, our flag, our mission focus, love Jesus, love the church, 
love the world. And Peter gives us little hints about managing suffering. One expert wrote, reminded us that this suffering that he talks about is a different kind of suffering that most of us go through from time to time. It's not like the suffering of pain or loss of a job or car damage, even those are important. It's not that sort of suffering. This is the suffering caused by us being singled out because we are Christian. It's that sort of, sort of suffering. And Peter gives a couple of hints how to manage this because he's writing to those people who are undergoing suffering. So he's giving hints how to handle it. So let's just refer to a couple of verses. And if we could read together, could we go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 and see what Peter says we can do to help. Chapter 2, verse 1, and only verse 1, on the count of two, we read together, 1, 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now let's go to uh, verse 12 in chapter 2. Verse 12, chapter 2, 1, 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of being wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Of course, we don't point a finger at anyone to say they are pagan. But it's certainly one of the ways in which we can cope with a daily life in terms of being a Christian. And I wonder if you've ever had the experience where you're going to buy a pre-loved car or you're looking for a place to rent or interested in buying a house and the salesperson says to you after they found, find out about you, they say, oh, I'm a Christian too. I don't like that sort of thing. Because when it comes to the nitty-gritty, hey, what's going on here? I thought he said that, but it's this. Where's the Christian then? And Peter says, in your daily life, be that Christian. Uh, Tom and I was having a conversation just earlier, and I learned this on the Alpha course. Sometimes things come up in, you know, chat, chit chat before the meeting, and then it comes up later on. And we were talking about, we were struggling to get copyright for this song, Mr. Noah, Build an Ark. The people thought it's such a lark, and we couldn't find anywhere that sort of uh, copyright. And Tom said about this copyright thing, not only must we sort of be in that queue or that line that says we do the right thing, we must be seen to do the right thing as Christians. Even when it comes to copyright, bit of a nuisance that I couldn't sing the full song, but still, we must be seen to be doing the right thing. And lastly, in terms of struggling with the suffering, Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. There's so much in here. We could be here for four hours, but you might just not like it. Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. 
on the count of two, we read together. One, two. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we give you praise and thanks for your word, for the power and common sense in your word. And we pray that you will help us in our daily lives to apply your word and to be true Christians, even in suffering. To your honor and glory we pray. Amen.